Thank you, Sue. So as you just heard, this is Mary's song, and in several versions of the biblical text, it's actually laid out like poetry instead of prose, which I think is the appropriate rendering. We've come to week three of our four-week Advent series called Simple Gifts. Two weeks ago, we talked about hope as a simple gift of the season and how we can move toward reasonable hope, even when we don't feel hopeful. Last week, we talked about peace as another of the simple gifts and how peace cannot come without repentance. This is Gaudete Sunday, the Latin command or imperative to rejoice. Thus, our simple gift for this week is joy. Like hope and even peace, joy can be nebulous. C.S. Lewis famously wrote, I sometimes wonder whether all pleasures are not substitutes for joy and I call it joy, which is here a technical term and must be sharply distinguished from both happiness and pleasure. Joy, in my sense, has indeed one characteristic and only one in common with them, that is happiness and pleasure, the fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if both were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in the world but then joy is never in our, in our power, and pleasure often is. I grew up hearing things in line with this thought of C.S. Lewis, that joy and happiness were distinctly different things. Joy was a deep-rooted, spiritual, lasting satisfaction, and happiness was a worldly ephemerality. Yet interestingly, every dictionary definition I found for joy included the word happiness. Far be it from me to disagree with C.S. Lewis, but, well, I'm going to disagree with C.S. Lewis. The older I get, the more I wonder whether joy and happiness run on a continuum rather than existing as separate constructs. Maybe ephemeral happinesses are components of joyful lives. Maybe marking joy as a spiritual thing and happiness as a worldly one creates a false dichotomy. Maybe happiness and joy coexist because their component parts overlap sharply. Maybe, in a year like this one, we choose gratitude for any hint of joy or happiness present in our lives. I watched a TED Talk this week about finding joy in our ordinary lives. I confess that at first I was confused by the premise of the talk, that items in our physical world can bring us joy. You see, I often fall into that false dichotomy of believing that joy is solely an emotional, spiritual experience and cannot be manufactured. The most interesting part of this talk wasn't that we can find joy in physical objects, but what she says near the end. Each moment of joy is small, but over time they add up to more than the sum of their parts. And so maybe instead of chasing after happiness, what we should be doing is embracing joy and finding ways to put ourselves in the path of it more often. Lee says, deep within us, we have this impulse to seek out joy in our surroundings, and we have it for a reason. Joy isn't some superfluous extra. It is directly connected to our fundamental instinct for survival. On the most basic level, the drive toward joy 
is the drive toward life. Yet often we avoid joy. In fact, and this may surprise you, joy is the most terrifying emotion most of us ever feel. Anytime we get a hint of it, we prepare for the sucker punch of loss. How many of us have looked at our sleeping children and grandchildren, feeling rushes of love and gratitude for their lives, only seconds later to begin imagining the most horrible of accidents that could befall them? Social worker and researcher Brene Brown says, how many of you ever sat up and thought, well, work's going good, good relationship with my partner, family seems to be doing okay, holy crap, something bad's going to happen. You know what that is? It's when we lose our tolerance for vulnerability. Joy becomes foreboding. I'm scared it's going to be taken away. The other shoe's going to drop. What we do in moments of joyfulness is we try to beat vulnerability to the punch. Instead of feeling joy, we armor up. We try to make ourselves bulletproof. And when we try to numb our fear and vulnerability, we too numb our capacity for joy because we cannot selectively mute emotions. It's all or nothing. So either we choose the comfort of numbness or the risk of feeling. In Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel visits Mary in Nazareth and tells her that she will conceive a son. Now Mary has questions about how this might come to pass. Apparently, Gabriel's answers are satisfactory because Mary replies, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me according to your word. Mary knows she's making a, hard, a choice that comes with hardship. She, an unmarried pregnant woman, will be the scorn and will be the object of scorn and potentially death. Even so, Mary doesn't numb her emotions, but rather makes a choice to carry the child God asks to give her. She expresses a range of emotion in today's text too that tells me that she's alive to vulnerability and the potential for joy. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for all those who fear him from generation to generation. Right off the bat, Mary expresses joy. She worships and rejoices in the God she knows. She expresses her lowliness as a servant of the Most High. And then she recalls the faithfulness of the Holy and the mercy God has shown Israel. And now Mary's speech takes a prophetic turn. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This speech follows the pattern of other prophetic utterances in the biblical text. Like Miriam, Sarah, Deborah, Hannah, Abigail, and Esther, Mary proclaims the reign of God in the world and how that will look. In line with these prophetesses before her, this reign of God looks like God's strength over earthly powers who think they are strong. It means casting down unjust rulers. It means lifting up the lowly and feeding the poor. 
it means not letting the rich hoard more and more because they already have enough. The great reversal in the day of the Lord is a theme of most of the prophets in the Hebrew scriptures, not just the female ones. Ben Witherington writes, The Magnificat has become a song of promise, prophetic protest, and powerful deliverance by the Lord of the poor and oppressed. Mary is thus portrayed by Luke as a type of prophetess who proclaims Hebrew scripture hopes as the salvation of God breaks in. She differs from those prophetesses in that she herself helps bring in salvation. Mary goes on, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he has made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Mary starts and ends with God's mercy, for that comes before and after everything else. It is the mercy of God that allows a woman to become all she was created to be, whether that's a prophet, a mother, or anything else in the world. It is the mercy of God that allows her to proclaim the promises of God after millennia of hardship the Jewish people have faced and continue to face. It is the mercy of God that allows for the topsy-turvy reign of grace in the world where the unjust are cast down and the lowly lifted up. And it is the mercy of God that allows for joy in this process. What I love about the Magnificat and about Mary is the way in which she embraces joy on the journey. She has chosen a hard road to be sure, but she holds on to God's promise. Not only the promise of the angel who asks her to partner with God to bring a special child into the world, but the promise of the one who has been with Israel since before they were a nation, since they were in bondage. Mary opens herself up to the full range of possibilities, some beautiful, some terrible. Simply put, Mary puts herself on the path of joy. In so doing, Mary is available to partner with God to bring about the very justice she proclaims. Choosing the work of justice, which is, of course, the work of the prophet, is opening oneself to the very worst and the very best of humanity. It is to choose to live with the vulnerability inherent to the human condition. It is to live with a heart open to pain, to suffer compassion, to be moved toward justice. These days we have a choice. We can numb ourselves to the pain of the world, burrow into our comfortable homes and lives, and quiet the voices of the prophets who are calling us to action. Or we can be open and vulnerable to those issues affecting God's beloved. Poverty, disease, racism, sexism, anti-immigrant, anti-LGBTQ+, anti-everything. One thing we learn clearly from the biblical text is that God will use the willing to bring justice to bear in the world, no matter their background or station. Choosing joy in the face of despair is not Pollyanna-ish spiritual bypassing. It is not avoiding all the pain in the world and just saying God will overcome. It is rather a sober look at the world, participating with God and setting it to rights, 
and experiencing joy in the process. So today, will you put yourself in the path of pain, which is of course, the pain, the path of promise, the path of love, the path of hope, and the path of peace. Because if you do, you will too be on the path of joy. So I asked Peter to record a special hymn. This is probably...